No. What's your least favorite scary movie? Was Jeremiah Sand a righteous man? Welcome to What's Your Least Favorite Scary Movie, the podcast where we talk about our least favorite aspects and most debatable opinions of our most favorite scary movies. We fight over our favorites. My name's Jesse. My name is Travis, and we'd like to welcome our fellow cult members back to the cult. We are back to actually covering real cult movies now after talking about Jason last time. Cult um, of Jason. Cult of Manhattan. We kind of have also <laughs> founded the cult of Jason, so that yes. is also a thing. But grab the your cult bad of baby boy Kane Hodder. <laughs> grab your bad batch of LSD because we're going down a trippy movie lane today, and we're going to be talking about Mandy. Babe, did you write copy for yourself? What's that? Did you write copy for yourself? Write copy. Yeah, that little line right there. That was off of my head. Nice. Thank nice. you. I do have things written down here. You know, they're my notes, but that's not what I was looking at. Okay. All right. I pre-planned it. Okay. So like you I mentally didn't... wrote copy. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... It was good. It was good. Thank you. But yes, we are talking Mandy 2018, the Nicolas Cage movie, which that's kind of how Jesse has approached this thing from the very beginning. What do you mean? You have one of the main reasons why I chose this movie to begin with is because Jesse has this irrational hatred of Nicolas Cage. Not not as a person. What the fuck is wrong with this thing? I don't want to hear these goddamn I'm gonna say that again. I don't hate Nicolas Cage as a person. I don't know him as a person. Um as an actor, he uh I, I don't I don't go into a Nicolas Cage movie thinking, boy, this is going to be a good movie. You know what I mean? Uh, no. <laughs> I'll, I mean, I went in with those expectations whenever we first watched this because it looks like a perfect Nicolas Cage movie. Spoiler, it was. It is. What do you I mean? Okay, give us some movie background and then we'll get into our general. Thoughts. All right. Let's get, All let's right. get the, the nitty gritty out of the, the way. The nitty gritty. First. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Mandy came out in 2018. It was written and directed by Panos Cosmatos, which kind of sounds very fitting for this type of movie. Um, it stars, obviously, Nicolas Cage as Red. Mandy, obviously, the movie's title also is. Titular titular andrea riceborough um jeremiah the cult leader that is played in this is played by linus roche and um i don't really have any of the other cast members because i don't really feel like anybody else is that important in this movie but we got the main trio there yeah um music is (laughs) i really just he he wrote a good score but i like his name because it's johan johansson oh nice johan johansson Johan yeah. Johansson. No, Johan Johansson. Are you sure? Yeah, I looked it up. I wrote, like, this is it right there. Because I feel like I saw it, and I remember making a note of the name to myself. I'm going to pull it up, too, just to be safe. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I knew that it was, uh, the movie was, like, dedicated to him since he died right after. For Travis's notes, he uh, died a month after release. Nope, Travis has taken his notes back from me because he does not want me to read anything else. Yeah, that's Johansson. 
You added an extra A. No, Johansson. Okay, Johan Johansson. Whatever. Okay, well, we'll 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 split it down the middle. We're both wrong. Okay, fair enough. You added just, an extra letter. I like though. the name. Okay, I, it is. It's a nice name. He did. It's a good name. He did good music. Yeah. So did yeah. he write? Did he write Jeremiah's song too? I don't know if he did. Um, I would imagine. I've got some tidbits about that oh, song. I want the fucking single lit. They released it as an actual single on Bandcamp. Oh, shit, really? <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things I was going to talk about. Okay. Like, yeah, well, I mean, we're already there. Okay. Um, but yeah, they released his single on Bandcamp, and it became a bestseller. So maybe, you know, in an alternate reality, he saw how successful he really was, and he didn't become a cult leader. The ultimate irony. I know, right? It's so weird. But yeah, that's the background stuff. Um, that's the whole cast and crew, whatnot. I, I think it's really important to also note that uh, Panos Cosmatos was working on this skirt for a really long time, and when he was trying to find backers, one of the people that found him was none other than Elijah Wood. Yeah. And I fucking love that little weirdo. And he wanted to be one of the producers, and one of his first thoughts was Nick Cage needs to star in this. And I'm gonna you come can blame back. him. Now listen, I'm gonna come back to my. I don't dislike Nick Cage as a person, just as an actor. I love the idea of the two of them being friends because they're both just fucking weird. And I'm a big, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, and I am gonna say that it. it that's not Elijah Wood's defining role for me. I think where he found true self-actualization was I no longer feel at home in this world. Mm, I think that's where he, he was he in really, that, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he really came into his own with that. It's the, it's kind of how I feel about Daniel Radcliffe and Swiss Army Man. Like, yeah, I I just he's a little weirdo and I love him and I can't get enough of the kid and. His endorsement of having Nick Cage in this movie, I guess he saw the potential weirdness. And I think it my head canon for this is that he really wanted to be in it, but he was like, I could not convincingly play a lumberjack. No. <laughs> I you know what I think happened? He probably went to um Panos Cosmaros. He's like, Hey man, can I be red? And then he's like, I don't see it. <laughs> I mean he Look, he's he's a flexible actor. I've not seen him in a lot, but I mean, he's what I've seen him in. He plays it well, and I just don't. It would not be believable. No, it wouldn't. And and I will say too, because initially when Nick Cage read the script, he wanted to play Jeremiah Sand. No, it's the other way around. They wanted him to play Jeremiah. Oh yeah, yeah. He wanted to play Red. They wanted him to play Jeremiah. That's right. That's right. They told him no. And And I'm so glad that things turned out the way they did because yeah. the two difference between both of them the the thing i don't like about nick cage is that he has zero restraint in his acting and not in like a good way not like he goes to the edge but like he just he does the extreme of emotions there's not a lot of nuance to his uh to his characters so he, yeah he has, he has no in between he's yeah. either all the way or he's like very lacking yeah and the characters of jeremiah and red are both completely unhinged but jeremiah has to be played unhinged with restraint because that's how a cult leader operates whereas a man on a violent war path shouldn't have restraint 
So I think that they were well paired in that regard. And I even my mom was here when this premiered on um, not like it's not its premiere, but it premiered on Last Drive-In. And even then, you both were like, so this is actually a good role for Nick Cage. You should you should be open minded to it. Well, I mean, I only say that because I'm echoing what I hear other people say. I don't really know. I'm not like a huge Nicolas Cage fan. And if I'm being honest, I don't really have a lot of movies that I can even think of that he's been in. Like, I remember in school, I would have to watch National Treasure. I don't know how many times in history class because they didn't actually want to teach history to us in history class. So that was my history lesson. Some guys... Was your history class taught by um, some sort of coach? Yeah, football coach. Yep. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> just it, southern things it tracks <laughs> it's the truth yeah let's just go ahead and go into our thoughts pre-thoughts pre-ratings stuff like that um do you want to go first or do you want me to go first up to you bud you're the one defending this movie uh okay then you go first and i'll bring my defense okay so and i will i will preface this normally if we can we like to record fresh off of watching the movie just because we like to get our more immediate reactions and sometimes we have time to reflect. This is one of those times where we have time to reflect because uh, we were very sleepy last night after running a 5K and then doing a lot of yard work. It was enough to watch this incredibly long movie. Actually, I don't think the movie itself is that long. We also watched, we watched the drive-in special. So we the movie get, is pretty long. Yeah, the movie itself is pretty long, but like add in the drive-in special, it for all the background information we wanted to get, it, it, is, it added in quite a bit of time. Um, hold on. I've so it was like a idea. two and a half hour. It's two time. hours and one minute. Yeah. So it's still a pretty long movie. Yeah. So at the end of that, I was just like, I need to, I need to go to bed. And I didn't sleep well last night. And it was for a variety of reasons. One was because all of my electronics were fucking up. So like my Fitbit went crazy and I had to reset it. And every time it goes crazy and needs to be reset like that, it drains the battery. So I had it on the charger when I went to bed. Didn't have it around my wrist, which meant every time I woke up in the middle of the night, I would go to try and check what time it was. Didn't have my Fitbit on. I'd roll over to check my phone and my phone was glitching and doing a slow charge instead of a fast charge. So like there was one point I woke up, it was like, 1244 and my phone was on 44% and it said it will be charged in 49 minutes and I fell asleep and I woke up again at like 1.30 and it was at like 49% and said it would be charged in an hour and it was all very very surreal and I was having like flashes of like red and purple tint because that was used in the movie a lot that and all sounds pretty terrible, except for the flashes of that. That that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was it was a very like I had that weird like druggy experience going along with it. So all of this is to say that the movie does stick with you, and I'm not necessarily saying that it's a bad movie. Um, I just think that it tried to be too many things at once with moderate success in one area and minimal success in another. Uh, it, it, the pacing is my biggest issue with it because it is trying to be these different things. You know, we've got this kind of art house experimental feel to it. We've got all of these long, sometimes like comedic shots in their own way. And then we've got like just all of this 
violence and gore and action. And all of these elements together are things that I love in horror movies, but like going from the slow, druggy, romantic moments from the beginning to the action at the end, it doesn't ever feel like it punches up. You know what I mean? It, it feels like it's still in that kind of druggy haze from the beginning. So it, it kind of muffles the violence for me. I never really get that sense of like, oh shit, we're going there. Like, it's just like, okay, this is another thing that's happening. And it feels like that again and again and again. And I know Panos Cosmatos was trying to fit a lot of influence and reference into his movie. And I respect that. I respect the experimentation, but it just did not fucking do it for me. Okay. So I'm giving it a three. A three out of ten? Three out of ten. Holy shit, dude. That's way lower than I expected. I really did. I, and I've seen it now twice, and there's like really the only scene that sticks out to me is Mandy laughing at Jeremiah when he plays his own song and then pulls out his uh, beep, beep, bing, bing, bong. His little Jeremiah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, there's, he hangs dong in this movie for all interested. So, yeah, if that's what you're into in horror yeah. movies, yeah, you this is your one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I respect your opinion. He, um, I don't really, he didn't, he made it pretty clear that he didn't really have like a certain direction that he wanted to go in with this movie. He just kind of, he said he kind of like followed his instincts. So, um, to me, and I'm sure plenty of other people, it's, kind of cut into two clear halves and it's um the first half is like a slow like romantic movie you know you're all about building up the relationship between red and mandy because in the end he wants you to care you know about what's going to happen to her later and the second that that movie shifts into a revenge movie like actiony is you know the very moment that he breaks free after she's been killed and he goes to the bathroom and he has the bathroom breakdown. So after that, it becomes like a action-y like revenge flick. Um, but I don't know. I feel like it's like a very stylistic revenge movie. And I think that it's really effective. I think it's really pleasing to watch. It lacks in plot, but that's by design. The guy mentions plenty of times that he doesn't really care for plot he's just trying to make an experience and i think that's like a really accurate way to describe this movie because there is like very loose strings of plot but that's only to actually give you something to follow in the movie you're not there's just really not much there he just it's just a nice like visually pleasing movie it's so vibrant in all its colors I think the acting is really good from everybody, too. Um, Nicolas Cage, like, I know he's a super over-the-top uh, over actor, but... Over-the-top. Over-the-top. He's an over-the-top actor, but he was written as kind of like a blank slate, so he doesn't really have a lot of lines in this. Which I think actually works in favor for his acting style. Yeah, and he, yeah, he's just kind of there. He's just kind of, I don't know, he's kind of like a vessel. I don't know. I, I get the whole thing about it's supposed to be an experience, and it wasn't meant to necessarily, like, we don't want plot to get in the way of our story and all of that. And I'm fine with movies that do that, but it just didn't have any kind of an emotional impact on me. 
You didn't care about Mandy's whole thing? Like, I mean, we don't see a ton of their relationship. Yeah, we do. We see a pretty good amount. It's like the whole first half of the movie. I feel like you don't see that much of them really, truly interacting. She <laughs> talks about her book, and then she tells the disturbing Starling story, and then he looks horrified when she comes out of a lake naked. And He's... Okay. <laughs> so I did a little bit of research today okay. with that extra day. Okay. And he wanted to depict an actual realistic relationship between two people. He's talking about the... He said the times that he feels closest with his partner is whenever they're just kind of like hanging out together. He said it's couples don't really go horseback riding is what he says. Yeah. Like, you know, they sit down and they watch TV together and they just kind of like, that's kind of the thing that Mandy and Red have in common in this movie is they just like to watch Brandad TV. They watch a movie from apparently some kind of, I've never seen the movie. Um, what's it called? Uh... I don't fucking know. It's in here somewhere. But they're watching a movie from some, like, apparent, like, schwack master that, you know, it's a real movie. But that's just kind of their thing. That's how they bond. And the reason he, like, has a reaction to her coming out of the lake like that, apparently, is because he's had his own trauma. They don't go into detail with it, but this is, like, the first time he's been able to, like, be open with his feelings with somebody before. Like, that doesn't come across on the film at all. I can see that. And a lot of this stuff does not come across in the film, but that's, and, I'm just giving you his explanation. And for I that. appreciate that they went for a realistic approach on how a couple exists with one another, but I feel like they didn't give a ton of what that means for their relationship. Because I feel like you can show any two people living in a house and you can depict their relationship in different ways that way. I feel like it wasn't done. You had to already have that background of the couple in your head when you show this little slice of life. There weren't there wasn't enough context there to know what their relationship was. Okay. So and not saying that like her dying wasn't sad, but I didn't feel his like love for her until after she's dead. Which feels yeah, superficial in a different um, kind of way. I feel like there's a lot of scenes where they're really close with each other, like laying in bed, talking, you know, about what planet they would want to be, or what's their favorite planet, or whatever. But we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. What My rating is I'm going to give it a nine. Okay. So that gives us an average of six. Okay. All right, so I guess we'll get into it. Uh, I made a lot of notes, but like you said, there's not a lot of plot. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, there's, there's not much. Uh, I want to talk about first, uh, there's like this overhead shot into Nick Cage lumberjacking, and I feel like nobody really did a ton of background into what lumberjacking looks like because they did the bare minimum of, like just enough for you to be like, okay, he does something woodsy and he's, a, he's he got the flannel home. shirt yeah, on he's got the flannel shirt like it relied a lot on stereotypes and that was it yeah and it was more overhead shots of the forest and interspersed with shots of mandy like really up close shots of her smoking and working on her art which i thought was cool i liked seeing her art yeah 
Then he, uh, as Red's driving home, he's uh, listening to Ronald Reagan, as you do. He turns it off. I don't think he's into it. <laughs> but apparently, yeah. So this is to, it's said in 1983. Just because his name's Red doesn't mean his politics are. Oh, oh shit. That's <laughs> pretty good, man. I just came up with that on the fly. Uh, very nice. I like it. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, we get our first uh, chapter title. There, This movie split into three chapters. This one is called Shadow Mountains, 1983 AD. So it's set in 1983. Red gets home and tells like this stupid <laughs> joke. And again, it's one of those things that I could appreciate the dumbness of this joke if all I didn't have to go on with this guy was that he's a lumberjack and listens to Ronald Reagan in his truck. So the joke goes, uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Eric Estrada. Eric Estrada who? Eric Estrada from Chips. <laughs> I love that. I thought it was really good. I wonder if he came up with that himself. I could definitely see him doing that. He even like gave it that Nick like Cage flair to his like Eric Estrada from Chips. Is that a good Nick Cage? <laughs> it sounded more like I was doing Buffalo Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh so we just like we get all of these like we were saying before all of these random like shots of them talking about life and Mandy's galaxy book that she's reading. She chooses Jupiter as her favorite planet because uh, the thousand year storm that's brewing on the surface. Apparently, the eye of the hurricane could yeah. consume the Earth alone. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty cool. Nick Cage's first choice is Saturn, but then he chooses Galactus, to which man is like, that's not a planet, it's a planet eater. And he's like, cool. Galactus is one of the most terrifying <laughs> concepts. He is a giant and he eats planets. I mean, there's probably something like that out there. The universe is so big. That's so scary. That's like one actual comic book villain that I think about and I'm like, that's really kind of fucking terrifying. I, I could see that being a Nick Cage add-in too, honestly, because that's one of the things well, I do know about him as a person is he's a big fucking yeah, nerd. So he, he's really huge in the. And I mean books. that in the nicest way, like we're big fucking nerds too. So. Yeah, obviously we're not shaming anybody for being a nerd about anything. Yeah, uh, we get a lot of shots of the outside of this house, and this is something that distracted me the first time I watched it, distracted me this time watching it. It's something that will haunt me throughout the rest of my life. This entire goddamn house is made of different size and shaped windows. There is no wall to speak of. It's only window. I kind of like it. I think it looks really nice and unique. Yeah, who does the window cleaning in this house, though, Travis? Well, you volunteered. I'm just saying, that seems like a gigantic pain in the ass. There's no, like, they, and I want to say that they must hire professional window cleaners, at least for the outside. I think my mom and I actually had this discussion when we watched it, because there's no fucking way I would live in that house if I was expected to clean all those windows myself. And they are clean. Yeah. no, There I, are clean windows. I remember this being a huge talking point. <laughs> but she, she works at the local, like, corner store thing and she does her art stuff on the side and he's a lumberjack and i don't know how much lumberjacks get paid but presumably not enough what with the occupational hazard and whatnot i get the impression that it's small town so cost yeah. of living may not be that high 
Yeah, but either way, I just feel like they probably can't afford a professional window cleaning service. I, they probably don't have one. This and is like it's... a fucking crazy movie where it's more about style over substance. That's like a stylish house right there. Yeah, like it's like the fourth house in uh, The Three Little Pigs, the alternate version with the four little pigs and the, the wolf just comes up and like, throws a Molotov cocktail through one of the windows. And that's how we know not to not to build a house out of windows. I wonder what their door looked like. Did we ever see? I really don't know. I was every shot, every exterior shot, I was just like, that's so many fucking windows. And there's like squares and long rectangles. And there's some goddamn circles in there and half circles. It's bananas. And I wish that we had some information on who built that house for the set. Yeah, I wonder if it's still there. What an absolute mad lad. I like, there's just, what the fuck? But be real, if we just somehow saw that that house was going for sale somewhere, and we're like, we're kind of in the market for a new house, and it's a reasonable price. No. No? No, it's such a safety hazard. What happens if there's a really bad storm, Travis? I don't care. Mr. I'm afraid of tornadoes. Yeah, but I don't know, man. It's just so cool. I love the location, too. And they're in the middle of the woods, so if a tree falls, like, they're not just going to have an issue of the roof collapsing in and potential, like, structural damage to a wall. They're going to have to replace, like, 15 goddamn windows, and you know how expensive windows are. Okay, you know what? This is way too much talk just based <laughs> off of the house alone. Okay, 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 we get it. The house is fucking crazy. I, yes, I just I needed to talk about it. It's been in my in my head and my heart. So, anyway, uh, like, and we get just these shots of them rowing a boat across a lake. It's called Crystal Lake. Uh, we see them at a campfire. This is where Mandy gets in the water naked, and Nick Cage is really sad about it. I don't um, think he's... He looks sad, He looks so sad. I think that that's just like he... That's him in love. At one point... That's, that's sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at one point, they're asleep, and Mandy wakes up hearing growling, and it sounds like cats fighting, but just very large cats, and she does the completely reasonable thing of walking out in the woods with no shoes in the middle of the night to investigate, and she finds a dead baby deer that Travis and I both thought was a dinosaur at first. Looks so much <laughs> like one. Just a tiny little T-Rex just on the ground. This movie's already set up to be something super wild, so I thought maybe... Yeah, I, I like, and the second time watching it, I was like, shit, was there a dinosaur? Like, I was, <laughs> yeah. like, fully prepared. I was like, okay, I mean, I know it's weird. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so uh, she, like, has her, like, single tear going down her face. Uh, later on, they're in front of the TV. They've fallen asleep. It's staticky because this is 1983. And uh, she wakes him up saying, oh, were you having a bad dream? And he said, yeah, but I don't remember what it's about. And she was like, cool, I'm going to give you a fucking nightmare and tell you about the time my dad made us murder baby birds. Yeah, that's where her trauma comes from. Yeah, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, you do the whole tortured artist thing. You deserve it. Yeah. She didn't participate, by the way. Yeah, she, she ran, ran away. away. But mm -hmm. everybody else in her family were smashing birds. So. And the neighborhood children. Oh, was the neighborhood children yeah, too? Yeah, I uh. think so. Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, so it's just, uh, yeah. She also uh, goes into one of her many reading rooms 
which is a room full of windows. It, it has to be really warm in there. Like, it's basically a greenhouse, right? Mm, yeah. So she's just, like, sitting on her bed in this very well-lit room. Like, it would be a great setting to do some photography. I'm sorry. I cannot let go of the window thing. Uh, anyway, she's reading some book, and we get this, like, narration of her reading it, and it's, like, this serpent's eye story. And I, There's probably a lot of metaphors uh, to the things <clears throat> that they talk it's about. It's called... Seeker of the Serpent Kiss, or a Seeker of the Serpent's Kiss, which is not a real book. It's the tr- name of a track on the movie. Okay. So, yeah. Wait, Seeker of the Serpent's Kiss or Secret of the Serpent's Kiss? Seeker. Seeker. Okay. Okay. So, and she's uh, she's got her book and her cigarettes, and she walks to the little uh, corner store type thing, market. What is the right, what is the word I'm looking for? It's like a basically like a convenience store general store general General store store. okay yeah yeah. she's walking to her job at the general store and as she's walking this van passes by and uh the the people in the van see her and it does this like thrice shot towards her face it's like bam it's really creepy it's in slow-mo too it felt like, I feel like if it had been a little bit faster and had an edgier soundtrack, it could have been like a Tarantino-style shot. You know what I mean? Kind of, yeah. Like if it had been... It does one of those things, though, that I really like in horror movies because I always find it really unsettling when it just like freeze frames on like a really weird like mid-pose thing, like you know, and it like does a slow zoom into their face. I think it is really effective with this, too, because it is set in the 1980s and it's dealing with a religious cult. And you and I both grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries and the like, other such uh, documentary procedural type shows. And especially when it did anything with cults, you would always see like this grainy news footage and it would like slow down and then freeze on the guy and then do a zoom into the face I so those. i think that's probably where that's coming from for you <laughs> maybe i just love zooms and zooms are awesome that's yeah one. and i mean like it's got a grainy quality to it too with this. yeah the, i don't know if he shot this movie on actual film or if this is artificial grain something tells me it's artificial grain but i love grain in movies it just kind of gives it that like texture to it yeah, but but we know that this is important not just because of the thrice shot, but because our next chapter title pops up, and it is Children of the New Dawn, which sounds terrifying. <laughs> and guess what? They are. Uh, the people from the van are at the motel, and the, the long-haired guy that was sitting in the front. And I just want to say, we've seen all of the people that are in the van, right? We've got Jeremiah, and he's got this really long hair. We've got Mother Marlene, and she's got really long white hair. She actually looks like she could be an older version of Mandy, so I kind of get, like, his obsession with Mandy. Uh, We see, uh, I think his name is Hanker, Hacker, something like that. He's got, like, uh, an intense widow's peak into a mullet type style like yeah. he look, and it's like bleach blonde he he looks like he belongs in the lost boys mm-hmm. uh so we've got all of these people that are like yep you look like you belong in a cult and then we have brother swan who just looks like like your best friend's dad growing up like he's he's got male pattern baldness mostly shaved like you can just see the stubble of where it's coming back wait he wears like 
dark blue sweaters without prints on them. Like he is the most neutral looking guy ever. Wasn't he Brother Kelly? I thought I wrote down Brother Swan. Brother Swan is one of them, but there's a Brother Kelly also. I am fairly certain it's Brother Swan because when we're at the motel, you're right. Uh, Jeremiah is being all pissy, talking about how he feels naked without Mandy. And you made a funny joke about like, it's funny that once he gets Mandy, he gets naked for real. Um, (laughs) No, there is no Brother Kelly. I don't know where I saw that. So yeah, you're right. Brother Swan. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, Marlene is in there like trying to cheer him up or, you know, basically she's jealous of Mandy yeah she's like what did i do wrong yeah and he's like everything he's like he's so (laughs) fucking dramatic and i kind of like i love him as a villain it for a lot of reasons but his he's so dramatic and i like i can't get over it yeah and he asked her brother swan and when he comes in he wants him to get her he uh he asks if he's got the horn of something um Uh, it's uh, the horn of a Braxis. Of a Braxis. Yeah. It's the magic conch. It basically, looks, but for all you Legend of Zelda fans, basically like they took the Ocarina of Time and made it a rock. Yeah. And they, they were talking about how there's like the whole ritual that they have to do to get, you know, what who they're calling upon. And he was like, go ahead and sacrifice the pork or two because it's always good to have a little extra. Who do you and think he looks like? Jonah Hill. He does. He looks like Jonah Hill. He kind of does. He looks like a mixture of Jonah Hill and the little fat kid from the Santa Claus movie with um, Billy Bob Thornton. Okay. No, I like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I love Jonah Hill. You know I love Jonah Hill. And I it's- he looks like, and it's not even like him being, and he's not even that foul. Like well, chubby, man, but... nobody said anything bad about it. You're the one that's putting that out there. You, the way you were like, who do you think he looks like? I just think it's funny, but. But his face and his hair, like he looks like Jonah yeah, Hill. Yeah, he does. Like he dyed Jonah Hill's hair blonde. He yeah. was trying to be a lost boy with Brother Hacker. He does. Uh, <laughs> so then he asks for sister Lucy. Lucy is a character that I feel so bad for, and Red is going to feel bad for, too, and we'll talk yeah. about her in a little bit. Uh, at the store, we see Mandy's working, and by working, I mean she's reading over the cash register because it's a small town, and they don't have a corporate office. So it's like, you can't fucking do that. And she's also wearing, like, a black Sabbath shirt, I think, and off screen, we hear her voice say, nice shirt, and then we the camera turns and it's Marlene and you're like, uh oh. And then you're like, what was about this horn of Abraxas shit if Marlene's just going to go in there and snag her? <laughs> I think uh, she was just doing recon. She wanted to figure out what was so special about her. Well, and it worked. No, she was getting recon for the dress because this was the early 80s and stranger danger wasn't a thing. So Marlene uh, is sitting there talking right. to her and she was like, such a nice town. You from around here? She goes, yeah, I live down by Crystal Lake. And apparently she's the only one because it was very easy for them to find their house. It makes sense. It seems like, you know, small area. Yeah. So that's just, uh, that's her thing. We see the van outside of their house and Swan plays the magic conch slash ocarina. Choose your childhood reference there. <laughs> And what happens uh, is afterwards, this is one of those funny shot moments that I was talking about. It's them sitting in the car 
in absolute silence. I mean, like, there's not even background music playing, and Brother Hacker is just like, or it's Hanker, Hanker. That's what I wrote down for mm. my MDB. Uh, he's just rolling the window up and down, up oh, uh, and down. And honestly, I didn't think about this before, but the <laughs> fact that it was 1983, like the automatic window thing must have been fairly new. Oh, I didn't even think about that either. Yeah, but he was just like sitting there rolling it down, rolling it back up. Or is that like an a- inaccuracy? Could be. Okay, I well, know. I don't want to spoil the ending just yet, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> like... Yeah. But yeah, he's just, and it's like, it's a really funny shot, but it is one of those, it goes on for seriously like two minutes. And Not that. It, it goes on for a really the long time. The whole scene of them sitting around, yeah. And but. it's one of those issues that it's like pacing because you you don't get those, you don't get enough of the emotional highs and lows for like those types of waves to be as satisfying. Yeah, I guess. Um... I mean, I feel like there's a little bit of suspense building up here because he's blown the horn, right? Yeah, yeah. he's blown the horn. They're waiting. Yeah, so like you're waiting and like you're kind of building up anticipation here, but it kind of breaks the moment of tension with a little bit of humor and then is immediately followed up with one of the best scenes in the entire movie yeah, where, so... again, another... What was the nickname you came up with, these guys? The Cinnabikers. The Cinnabikers, because they are very much influenced by Hellraiser Cinnabites. Like, there's one of them literally just has nails hammered in all over his body. I would like to see these guys in, like, a Hellraiser movie. I feel like these guys are more effective Cinnabites than what we ever Hellraiser, got. Black Skull. <laughs> It's really cool, though. So they all emerge, and it's got that red tint, backlight, and they just look very intimidating. They're like... I was expecting one of their jaws to do the, like... Yeah. It would have... I mean, they might as well. They're doing so many other references here. But, yeah, they're all... It's a biker gang, and they are all pulling in on their uh, motorcycles and four-wheelers, and I think... I guess it's the head one. Um, It's... Every scene with them is so dark. It's really hard to make out yeah. some of their features. But he walks up to um, Brother Swan and... Drinks a jar of animal fat. Yeah, we don't really know what it is. I think it's supposed to be blood or LSD. I don't know. Later on, they make a reference to it being laced LSD. So I think that's what we're meant to but think But also... It is. Here, but he says blood for blood. He says more, more blood. Or something like that. He says blood for blood. Okay. I wrote it down. Well, I thought he, he might have also said more blood too. I don't know. Maybe I just am filling that in myself. But yeah, so he's he, they're they're making the deal, and um, so this is them. They've got their gang here. They're going to use these guys to go and kidnap Mandy. And apparently, the windows in the house, the windows that are the house, are all storm windows and double, triple paned because. Uh, Mandy and Red are just eating their TV dinners like shit ain't happening. They didn't hear all of these motorcycles roll up. They didn't they're hear the magic conch. No, they're they're still awake. They're eating. They're eating. We see this last little bit of like normalcy with them. And then when they go to sleep, we all of a sudden get these like flashing lights, power out, boom, the Cinnabikers have broken in. They throw them both to the floor. Uh, Red gets knocked out. The fat kid gets killed. There's he's a bad sacrifice. Put. Yeah, he's a sacrifice. The bag gets put over Mandy's head. And then we cut to like a kitchen, which is confusing to me because I felt like they were in a motel before and now they appear to be in an established 
house? They're inside the house still. They never left. Oh, that's their house? Yeah, they're still in the house. I was confused because there were solid walls. Oh, no, I, there's probably like <laughs> interior rooms in there, you know? But no, it's their house. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and Marlene is basically like, if you just, uh, if you don't fight it, we won't do anything to your hubby, uh, which, fuck the word hubby. Also, I'm throwing that out there. Fuck the word hubby. Fuck all of the people online who use DH when they're talking about their husbands. What's um, DH mean? Dear husband or darling husband. Like, fuck that. Um, fuck wifey. Uh, f- I, I, there are all manner of gross things people use to describe their children. Like, just talk about people like they're people. Why do we have to, like, fuck the word prego. I hate that one too. Yeah, that one is kind of stupid. Like, just talk about other people like they're other people. Like, it's weird. It's weird. Why are we trying to make things cute? Anyway, they, um, they have her tied up. <laughs> yes, and they're getting her drugged up, too. So apparently yes. that's like a big thing oh, about this cult. Yes. Yeah. So it starts off with a little drip, um, like that, eye drop things. And they're just basically doing eye drops of LSD into Which her. I feel like has to burn one, but also is supposedly, I don't know for sure if this is a thing it, it comes up in movies a lot though because you know the eyeball is a mucous membrane that it's like more easily absorbed kind of yeah. like you know you snort coke right mucous membranes and all that i don't know how accurate that is and again i feel like it has to burn i don't know what liquid lsd feels like or smells like or tastes like or any of that but i just i don't know her reaction wasn't very pleasant though yeah. She seemed to really be agitated by it. But not only that, they also oh, bring out this. a giant, uh, it's like a hornet or something. I don't looks, even know what it okay, is. Okay, okay. Look up um, the Japanese murder hornet thing. Is that it's, the thing that was yeah, like kind of there's, there's an invading term America? For it. It's not murder hornet. That's what everybody nicknamed it. I'm going to, this, this is a thing that I have like an actual goddamn fear of. And when I found out that some of them do exist in... Uh, Asian okay. giant, Asia giant hornet. Um, they are body length of forty-five millimeters, so that's thirteen and a fourth inches. So they're over a foot large, so that kind of makes sense that that's what that would be. It looks it's, like it too. It's fucking insane. It sting ha- it stinger like shoots you with acid that like actually burns your skin. It flies faster than any other hornet. It is incredibly territorial. So you know how like yellow jackets, if you kill one and you're anywhere within a certain diameter of their nest, like they all come for you. Mm -hmm. These are like that, except the diameter is a lot longer and they're a lot fucking faster. They'll probably kill you. Yes, they literally will. If you get stung by more than a couple, it's enough to like basically shock your heart. Apparently it's like some people use it as recreational drugs or at least this yeah. fucked up cult does. Well, I think if you pickle it for a while, which appears to be what they did. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had the hornet in a pickle jar. Maybe they had it basking in LSD. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's why it's mellow. Yeah. Who so, knows? Either way, they use it to sting Mandy's neck. It doesn't feel good, clearly. She is not, she's not happy about it, but it is enough to immediately subdue her because they can untie her. And uh, I'm going to say Lucy has been forced to help with this. And she's not really putting up a fight. But you can see in her face the whole time that she doesn't like. Doesn't love it. No. Uh, she's jealous. She's, she's there. Yeah. But what it does though is give this really cool visual effect of 
you kind of experience the trip through Mandy's perspective. It's super red, also with a lot of blue, and everything is just like I don't know how to describe you it. It's get, like yeah, you get like hazy. trails. From yeah, trails. Everything. Like yeah. So if you're moving mm-hmm. your hand, like you're seeing like the past like five frames. And, like, and what's really it. great about it too is that none of the effects stay consistent. So it's not like they use the same filter over everything. Like it comes and goes. Like there's one point because she gets brought out into the living room where everybody else is also clearly high as balls, and they're all I like post orgy. I think just the way they're like draped over top of each other uh and jeremiah comes over and he's talking to her and it you know we've got all of this weird like trailing effect the colors change there will be sometimes where he's talking but his mouth isn't moving and uh it's like they have multiple images of his face that will like kind of merge together and then pull back apart it's really cool like the there's a voice distortion effect that comes and goes same with mandy's it's it's really thing too like so one of the things that kind of makes her unique is she's got interesting eyes one of them is larger like her pupil is larger what is it iris and pupil i don't know all of that They're it's all, all larger uh i did make a note about this though that whatever contacts they gave her did not fully cover everything because i could see the rim of the contact in oh, her could eyes you? yeah oh uh, well during this whole scene though everything is kind of like shifting in size there too so it's really cool it's a really nice effect but this is the moment where we kind of get to see jeremiah the coal eater and get to see what he's all about and this is really great so he's like do you like we need some music do you like the Carpenters? And he's like, this is better. And he holds up a vinyl, a record that says Jeremiah Sands. And I'm like, oh shit, is your last name Sand, bro? And he plays it on. And the lines are, Jeremiah Sand was a righteous man. And <laughs> it's such a fucking stupid song. And like he drones on and on and on. Like he's going on about how he didn't get his record deal and they were afraid of his power and then Jesus said that he could have all the power he needs and basically like he came up with this pseudo-religious babbling bullshit to justify cruelty and taking whatever he wants because he did not get the record deal that he thought he deserved. The name of the song, by the way, is called Amulet of the Weeping Maze. Of course it fucking is. Yes, you can find it on Bandcamp, people. Okay. So get that shit. All right. It's a jam. But not really. It sucks. But then he says, I've been fortunate to know the comfort of many women. And then he takes off. He like undoes his robe. And it's shot at such an angle that you cannot tell the full size or girth of his penis, which I think is nice to the actor because he's like fully exposed for like a full five minutes. So and and it's especially kind because what happens next is Mandy like is finally catching up to everything. And she goes, wait, is this is this your record? (laughs) No, she said, is this? Yeah, is this song about you? Are you singing about yourself? Yeah. And like she like. Still hasn't processed the absurdity of that. It's like me with the windows on her house. That's where she's at with it. And he's like, yes, because he doesn't get how fucking insane that is. And then she starts laughing, which is never what you want to do when a crazy man has his penis out in front of you. Not only that, he is... (laughs) currently masturbating at this part oh no he starts angrily masturbating after she starts laughing yeah because he thought you know he could yeah. win this duel of power but no I mean, yeah he's like he starts it. angrily jerking off and then he's like shouting he's like 
don't look at me. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. He's, shout, he's shouting at her to shut the fuck up, and he's shouting at all of his followers. Like, don't look tell. at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. There was a little bit of respect for him in that moment. Hard not to whenever you've exposed yourself. You've put yourself fully out there. You're playing your own song for this girl, and you're like, here I am, nude. Here's my dick. And then her immediate response is to just laugh at you, which is a big point of this movie because the director... Uh, Fuck, I forgot his name. Panos Cosmatos. Panos Cosmatos. One of the main themes of the whole thing is the danger of like a toxic male ego. Yep. And right here, like this guy's well, right from the beginning the, with the record, his ego is, you know. This also goes back to uh, the very famous quote by Margaret Atwood. Uh, Men, uh, women are f- men are afraid that they'll be laughed at. Women are afraid that they'll be killed. I'm paraphrasing that, but this yeah. is literally what happens because uh, after he's done angrily jerking off, he uh, he, you know, sets up uh, sets up her killing. Yeah. So this is why you can tell it's like right outside of their house. At least this is why I made the connection. But immediately, like we find out, Red has been outside. I just thought that they were so dramatic with all of this. No. They were doing a bunch of driving back and forth. That's Jeremiah's style. You so. can see them pull her out of the house. Okay. I'm pretty sure, yeah. And he's, so Red is in the backyard and they've got him all tied up. Not only is he tied up though, he's tied up with barbed wire and he's got it around his wrist. He's got it around his mouth. It's all over him and it looks excruciating. Around his mouth. Around his mouth. Around his mouth. And then at this time, uh jeremiah and i think it's brother swan approach yeah the right. average looking dude like yeah. just a guy yes just doesn't the guy. belong in a cult <laughs> joe schmo and um jeremiah approach red and so yeah they they walk out there and they're pretty much just talking about their plans to kill mandy because she laughed at him and she's no longer useful to the cult and um well first we see jeremiah have an absolute goddamn panic attack in front of a mirror where he's like Tell me what to do. That's Tell right. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And he goes, you will take what you want, my son. I think he thinks he's speaking in Jesus' voice a, to himself. He tells himself, don't ever doubt yourself. Yes. yes. Yeah. Good advice. Uh, horrible intention behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So he gets out there and he's talking about how Mandy and Red think they're so in love. He basically is like, ew, you like a girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and... He's like, I'm going to show you what true love is. And he has Lucy come kneel down in front of him and play Russian roulette. And at that point, I'm like, for her, it's kind of win-win. Because, like, if she lives, you know, she's still alive. But if she dies, at least she's not with this fucker anymore. Yeah, I guess if it's that bad. And it's worth pointing out, Lucy looks like she can't be older than 16. Yeah, she's young. Like, she really fucking young. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, he... uh, she wins. She yeah, doesn't, she wins. She doesn't die. She wins. Swan shows off his special sword. Uh, he, It's got some fancy fucking name because Swan is all pretentious with everything, with the horn of Azkaban and um, all of that. Yeah, I forgot and, about his sword. Yeah, the sword has a special name, and he says, Swan like you doesn't even deserve it, yet he still uses it to stab him. And then... Jeremiah says that uh, Jesus's big mistake was not offering a sacrifice in his place. And I was like, hmm, that sounds pretty sacrilegious for somebody who uh, (laughs) purports to be uh, high and tight with the big guy. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, so he was like, all right, now you're going to see the cleansing power of fire. And there's like a deer stand in front of them, you know, like where you can hang up a deer after you've hunt and mm-hmm. clean it up and whatnot. And uh, what happens is they carry out a a bag, a body-sized bag, it's a like body a bag, bag, if you will. It looks like a giant burlap sack. It might be a sleeping bag. It looks like a sleeping okay. bag to me. Yeah, and because uh, because Friday the 13th Part 7 hadn't come out yet, they didn't think to just whack her against the tree. They're going to string her up and light her on fire instead. That is kind of... You did, you did catch that. That's one of the inspirations that he gave Nick yeah. Cage, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's like a moment later in the film where Nick Cage actually is like emulating Jason. I'll point it out when we get to it. Okay. I bet I can guess where it is. Okay. Uh, yeah, they just they <laughs> fucking douse her in gas and light her up uh one of the cult guys is just holding the rope the whole time I feel like they probably could have like anchored the rope down or something because it starts shaking a whole lot and it's just uh it's a rough time and then we get all these like random shots of people's faces and their different reactions to it and obviously red is horrified jeremiah is gloating marlena is just like thank god this lady's she's out of happy the way. she's smiling yeah and lucy looks very very troubled yeah again Somebody please save Lucy. <laughs> Lucy doesn't want to be here. I am not sure of the circumstances that got her there, but probably the same as Mandy. Mm. Getting kidnapped. Mm. You know, kind of seems like their whole thing there. Yeah, so uh they leave. Not only do they leave, they also stab Red. They stabbed him before the fire. Oh, did they? Yeah, sorry, oh, I covered that. Sorry, I missed that part. Uh, he manages to get down and part of me is like, cool, you were able to just get out of the barbed wire by yourself. But then I'm like, ah, it's probably a different circumstance when you've got somebody there like actively holding like weapons against you and you know you would die if you tried to get out. So yeah. And uh, it shows a whole that. scene yeah. of him doing that and it looks like really fucking yeah. nasty. Yeah. 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 He crawls over to her ashes. By the way, <laughs> he is wearing a Detroit Tigers, uh, three quarter length sleeve t-shirt <laughs> and tidy whities and we all know my feelings on tidy whities well he was sleeping he was sleeping in tidy whities that's not better travis that's... you know why he was sleeping it's because you can't fuck in tidy whities how do you know they didn't fuck because he was wearing tidy whities <laughs> fair point fair point uh there's this really disturbing way way too long scene of him next to her burnt uh, body and the wind starts blowing and she is uh winds. yeah and this is when we start getting the little bits of like animation that are spliced in throughout the movie and it's always yeah. a little animated piece of mandy yeah which it's is kind of like his like, own yeah yeah it's her his... artwork living on in his brain yeah which is her living on in his brain it's always in like these weird uh like i don't know really weird surreal locations but i think the first one of it here is she's got her back turned and then she turns around and her face is all like zombified so but that's okay because when he goes inside he gets to watch cheddar goblin yeah cheddar goblin one of the it's like it's a high point in the movie it's kind of a another one of those weird like comedic breaks so you watch something heavy there and now you like walk in and you're getting to see this guy I wouldn't even say that this is comedic. It's so surreal because of where it falls in. I'd yeah. say this is more of a surreal moment. Yeah. And directed by Casper Kelly, I think his name is. Yep. 
And the oh, guy that's that did, where you got Brother Kelly from. Ah, uh, maybe. But that's <laughs> the guy that did Too Many Cooks, for those who are Which, fans. Which, again, lends more to my point of it being surreal rather than comedic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've watched the full thing on YouTube, and yeah, I mean, it definitely, it, it's kind of like a Tim and Eric bit, yeah. but you know. But it's it's still kind of funny to really you're watching this goblin just vomit mac and cheese all over these children. That's kind of funny. Yeah. So this I'm is, talking about in context. Yeah. In context, it's uh it's pretty insane. But that's supposed to be like a reminder of the junk TV that they would watch together. So this is kind of like another you know, he goes inside and he's immediately reminded of that to again. To me, it's one of those moments of like you've just overcome like some great tra- not overcome like you've just encountered some great tragedy and then you have like this normal piece of life that just smacks you in the face. That yeah, that's a thing that happens a lot too. Yeah, that's always something weird to kind of approach whenever you deal with something like that. Um, but he goes to clean himself with vodka. Yeah, this it transitions into one of my favorite scenes. And I assume that this bathroom is an internal room because there are no windows in the bathroom, which is weird to me because we live in a house with an appropriate number of windows and we have a window in our bathroom. So that's why I feel this must be <laughs> an internal room. Yeah. Um, so in this scene, it's basically he's got a bottle of vodka and it's all a single shot. And he's in there, and he's drinking it, but he's also cleaning his wounds. was he an alcoholic? Because he pulls that vodka out from the towel closet. That's like like some hiding your vices type. That's alcoholic. That is, yeah. Huh. I didn't even catch that. Maybe I didn't until I was sitting here going on about the bathroom. (laughs) He could have been. But yeah, so he's, he's drinking an entire bottle of vodka while also using it to clean his cuts. And the whole time he's and just having a meltdown. The emotional pain. Yes, but this is a crazy scene. This is like a. I think this is a good Nicolas Cage acting moment, and it's like an example of that he, like the director, uses as why he is a good actor, Jesse. Because guess how many times he had to do this? Once. Two times. The first one was like a. They. He said he approached the scene as like a mini stage play. So they went through one take where he was, it was kind of like a rehearsal. So he was doing it. And then while he was like doing it, he was like shouting the beats of like what to do as he's doing it. And then the very next time they rolled the camera and let him do it by himself. That's what we saw, okay. which is a really good scene. Like he did a really good job. He also apparently, um, he like channeled, apparently during this time he was going through a divorce and he said he used that as like an outlet for this scene. So you can kind of tell it kind of comes from like a real emotional place. And I think it just goes back to this being like well casted, yeah. Rather than necessarily like props to his acting. Choice. But you're giving props that he can act in this in this scene right here. Uh, there's a really nice moment because he he has changed out of his uh, blood soaked tiger shirt into another three quarter length t shirt. He's got to show off them lumberjack forearms, but also it's the Pacific Northwest, so it's cold. It's chilly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's got a 44 on the front, and when they were first uh, ambushed in the middle of the night, that's the shirt Mandy was wearing. So I, I, I was like, oh, that's sweet. And I was explaining to you like the emotional impact. I was like, think about like I've got that stroke shirt that I stole from you early on into our relationship that I use for pajamas. And I was like, imagine 
if I was burned alive in front of you and then you like came inside and saw the shirt that I was wearing when I was kidnapped and yeah. it was actually your shirt, but also I, mine. I put it into perspective yeah, so. for real. Yeah, I can see it now. But I was only laughing at that because later in the scene, like later in the movie when he's fighting the Cinnabikers, they rip his shirt and when he approaches that one guy, he's just yelling, you ripped my shirt. That was my favorite shirt. And that's what I mean, like, that should have had an emotional impact because of, like, where it tied back into, but then they're like, we're going to play this funny, guys. I don't think they were playing it funny. I think that was just Nick Cage's acting. I thought it was funny because I missed that connection, but if you get that connection, I think that it has more of an emotional punch to it. Well, you know what else has an emotional punch? What? Uh, Nick Cage's friend Carruthers. Yeah, this dude. Yeah, we don't know what their connection is. All we know is that he was holding uh, what red refers to as the reaper i and here's where i think that maybe maybe red and mandy's relationship was a little superficial because he's hiding vodka in the bathroom he's hiding weapons from her this he wanted a, to move from the house we completely glossed over that conversation they had he brought it up yeah um but this makes me think he's got a history with this guy and whenever he goes there and knocks on his door he's like what are you doing he's like hunting it's like hunting again hunting? He he, make, he makes a comment like insinuating that this is not like, you know, a new thing and they don't have to specify who he's hunting. Like he's hunting like people, presumably. So Oh, they do make it specific because he says, what are you hunting? They, and Red says, Jesus freaks. And I really wish this the scene had just ended there. That would have been good. But I think that there's like that understanding that, you know, this is like. He, I guess he's like wanting to know exactly what he's up against to like be able to refer him to what kind of arsenal he needs. Yeah, and we do get some background information on the Black Skulls, aka the Cinnabikers, which is that they are like nasty bikers. We're going all up and down the the whole regional area and just doing like horrific shit. And then a local drug dealer got fed up with them and laced their LSD and supposedly that's how they became uh, Cenobites. I like that story. Yeah. It's kind of stupid, but I kind of really like it. I It kind of helps because part of the problem that I have making a cult movie also have an element of supernatural is like that takes away some of the scariness of the cult. Yeah. And to give it... It, it kind of blends this whole, like, you can see it because a lot of the stuff that's happening is coming from Red's perspective. So he's seeing, like, these Cinnabikers as, like, creepy, crazy. Like, maybe in reality, they're just, like, heavily, like, body modded. You know what I mean? And they're, like, on some crazy drugs that are making them especially vicious. That's an interesting way to look at it. That could yeah. actually be like a thing. I thought, and, and Brother Swan blows on the conch just because they're like, hey, we got to tell these fuckers that they got to blow on the conch if they want us to come. <laughs> I like that theory, but also I just kind of like the idea of these like a bad batch of LSE turning these guys into just fucking monsters, like scary individuals. It's kind of really cool. And I like the little bit of mystery to it. And then the last scene we have before our next chapter is a uh, red forging a battle axe, and the only goddamn PPE he has on is a pair of fucking aviators. Another thing that Jesse was super pissed off about when we first watched this it's movie. It's so unsafe. That's how you go blind. <laughs> Dude, there's so much unsafe shit that happens in this movie. I'm just saying, if he wants to live to see his revenge through. He just wants to make a weapon. He's not going to go out. He's like got to attack 
while he can. He knows their location. Okay, it well, seemed like he a has very this active forging setup. Surely he's got like a welder's mask or something, or gloves at the very least. I think they. Do, I mean, he definitely seems like he has like experience doing this. I think whenever they filmed this, they did less research into weapons forging than they did into lumberjacking. But they had to make this scene go on a lot longer than the lumberjacking. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, the weapon is awesome, though. The weapon is cool. And then we finally get the title card for the movie because the final chapter is called Mandy. I don't think and it's a title card. It's a it chapter. It basically is. Yeah. We never get like a full title card for the movie. You so. don't have to have title cards for I'm movies. I'm just saying. Like, yeah. And uh, it's done in a really cool style that looks like it could be like a black metal like album cover or whatever, which is appropriate for her because she wears a lot of like black metal t-shirt or death metal t-shirts yeah metal t-shirts she's in the metal music yeah for sure yeah. i don't want to there's too many subgenres and too many of them are racist and i don't want to metal i, I don't want to give her the wrong one yeah uh i don't know enough about i don't know enough just about keep metal. it generic yeah. like metal. metal yeah you're metal. fine there metal. uh so he's in the woods tracking the black skulls he manages to shoot one in the back uh, and then he takes a truck and runs over another one, but the truck crashes and he gets uh, uh, pulled inside while he's unconscious, having an animation of uh, Mandy in the lake. Yeah. And then he um, he wakes up to what I like to describe as basically the beginning of a Saw movie. Yeah. So he's just like chained up to a cage in like a, it's a dark room. A radiator. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and like the dark room, and um, I think he sees the, uh, the guy that drug him in there, right? He's like at a table working on something, and um, it's when the black skull comes in and cuts open his favorite shirt. Yes, and then he says, "You have a death wish," and Red says, "I don't want to talk about that." <laughs> I love that one. I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> uh, they fight for a minute, uh, just long enough for the black skull to be like "fuck you" and nail his hand to the floor and i think his hand was already nailed i like it was a little bit of a confusing sequence for me and some of this is also going in and out of like reality versus inside red's head too yeah it's a little bit confusing either way at one point he's got to rip his hand off the floor because it's uh nailed down he rips off the um like a pole from where he was been like he was handcuffed and he uses that to like bash the guy off which sends him down like the stairwell bash the guy off he bashes his head okay listen i have never heard any type of like masturbation referred to as bash off I've never heard any type of phrase ever that bashes the guy off. That's not how that works. I'm constructing sentences in my head. I'm like the guy You're here. You're doing it wrong. I'm the guy that made the movie here. I'm just doing shit. I'm following my instinct, and my instinct is not always right. <laughs> well, uh, I, we can assume that these black skulls have been here for a while, because once he gets free, he sees a couple dead in the bedroom, and the guy has a very, very bloody ass, so we get an idea that uh, they're uh, not just killers, but they're also uh, rapists, mm -hmm. so that's fun. Uh, the kitchen is goddamn disgusting, oh, and yeah. I really hope that that means that the black skulls have been there for a while, because otherwise, like I like feel slightly less sorry for the couple that's yeah, been murdered. Yeah, they seem like they've made themselves at home because you see into the living room. One of the other guys is snorting coke while also watching porn. 
you would think that they would want like more niche porn ah uh, they were <laughs> humans once i'm just saying like they're at a next level you think that like and granted Pornhub probably wasn't a thing in 1983. I remember when we were watching this Uh, and you were talking about like, you and your mom, like, is demon porn a thing? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) demon porn is definitely a thing. Just type it. You'll find something. You might not like what you find, but it's definitely going to be out there. Oh, nice. Uh, so he tries to sneak up on the black skull, but he's really not good at it. And when he comes up behind him, the black skull throws him and they fight. He does the thing where people always announce their attack by going, ah, (laughs) (laughs) like it always gives it away. Well, what ends up happening is that, uh, when he like, he gets thrown to the ground and the black skull pins him down, but he manages to stab him in the neck and he gets covered in bright, 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 bright red blood. Yep. Red covered in red. Yep. Uh, Then he does some coke. Like, and when I say some, I mean like an ungodly amount of coke. Again, uh, more of his backstory because I don't think a novice could take that much coke. No. He's just trying shit because he then he like walks into he walks into the kitchen and drinks some of the pig fat from the jar the magical mason jar is what i call it oh yeah do you like that i do i feel like we need a magical mason jar in our house i do not want that please don't please (laughs) okay whatever (laughs) but this magical mason jar gives him some kind of souped up powers or something because you see it has some kind of crazy effect on him you get like all kinds of weird visual effects He's definitely, he's high on something. It's whatever. I I think it's the LSD that turned them into the bikers in, yeah. to begin with. So he's kind of, I think he's enhanced in strength yeah. here. Yeah. So he goes outside. He shoots another one of the black skulls, decapitates another. That's basically it for them. And then he, we have this completely nonsensical scene which I would hate if I didn't love Richard Brake so much. Yeah, it does not it, play it a It offers part. zero to the movie other than like telling him to go north. Yeah. We get a tiger named Lizzie and Richard Brake cries and he's like, you're right. And he just releases Lizzie. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? Lizzie was Did supposed to be a drugs? lizard, by like, the way. <laughs> do what? Lizzie was originally supposed to be a lizard. That would make more sense. And then Richard Brake showed up to set that day and... Uh, <laughs> Panos is like, oh yeah, Lizzie's a tiger now. So <laughs> that's how that happened. But he's supposed to be the chemist. He's the one that's yeah. making all the drugs for everybody. Yeah, he's presumably the one that turned the Cinnabikers into the Cinnabikers. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, and he uh, he wears a nice uh, thick leather apron while he's doing his job because he understands the importance of With PPP. no shirt? No shirt, but I mean, Walter White did the same thing. Okay, that's a good point. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, that that's it. That's that whole scene. And Richard Brake is just so goddamn phenomenal in everything I've seen him in that I like. I I don't like the scene again. I feel like there's a lot of pacing issues, but I'm happy to have seen him. Yeah, I wish I thought for sure whenever I saw that he was in this movie that he was going to play a much larger role. It's really disappointing to see him just kind of that. Yeah, so Red takes one of the four-wheelers, uh, but then he gets stuck in the mud, falls asleep in the mud, and has another animation dream of some sort of dead creature. 
Uh, then we see him on the cliff looking over a triangle house reminiscent of Midsummer. Travis and I had this whole discussion about uh, if anything, because this came out a year before Midsummer, and then I was like, well, these are both like religious cults, so maybe there's imagery there in the triangle house. Did you look into that any? No, I didn't. I okay. forgot about that part. But, I mean, it that makes sense. It looks exactly like the t- like the big tent in midsummer so it's just yeah. a giant and i mean like it's an actual building structure it's not a yeah tent. i know but I, I it's like a giant triangle i'm gonna call it a tent whatever <laughs> uh so he attacks swan kills him uh swan and lucy are driving by yeah and basically like he he does like a uh a wrong turn move and like he throws out the spikes yeah, gives him the flats spikes. he gets out and then he shoves like the spear in Swan's mouth. Yeah. And just like, and then. He looks at Lucy and walks away. Yeah. He so. kind of like gives her like a nod. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know you're not. Yeah. Yeah. He gets that she was doing what she had to do to survive, didn't like it, doesn't want to be a part of it. And he was like, here's your out, kid. So good on him for that. Uh, we see Hanker, Hacker. Oh, I wrote Hacker here. I wrote Hanker in the other part. I don't know what his fucking name is. We see the Lost Boy. His, uh, he's cleaning his car, and then he gets the axe thrown into his head, the battle axe. It's very unceremonious. Yeah, he's just uh, He spots a chainsaw on the ground, can't get it to start, which was really, really, really fucking funny because Travis spent about an hour trying to get the weed eater started before we watched the movie. So Travis was like, well, if only he knew how hard a weed eater was to start, maybe he wouldn't have tried to rush up before he had the chainsaw it's going. It's true. <laughs> he was walking up to him as he was revving the chainsaw. That's not what you want to do, man. Trust me. Especially not when the cult guy you're attacking has a five-foot-long chainsaw. I like to call this Sephiroth's chainsaw. You gamers will get that. But this is um, this is the scene where he emulates Jason from Friday the 13th, part 7. Whenever he sees him with that chainsaw and, you know, he's kind of, like, approaching him, he kind of does a thing, like, where he, like, kind of, like, drops his jaw or something. Apparently that was him imitating Jason's zombie face with his jaw dislocating. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Apparently he, like, really channeled Jason in this scene. He was kind of wanting him to become, like, I don't know, as the movie went on into, like, a miniature Jason is what he said. Which I don't feel like that necessarily translates because, you know, he's just getting revenge. I don't think, you know. Is that not what Jason was doing? I guess, yeah. (laughs) But his is more reasonable to me. But, yeah. Jason died and his mom died. Jason saw his mom get killed. Exactly. Fuck, dude. Maybe you're right. And how many times did Jason actually die in the series? We're up to part eight, and we've already seen him resurrected three times, so... Got a lot of thinking to do about this. (laughs) Yeah, man, I guess he did channel. You know, good job. He did it. (laughs) He became Jason. Yeah, and he does finally get the chainsaw running, so... uh, But it doesn't matter. Like, all it does is he distracts the guy... And the big chainsaw is now on the ground, and he basically uh, Looney Tunes trips him onto his own chainsaw, which is an effective way of using a chainsaw. It's a brutal way to die. It it really works uh, physics in your favor instead of you having to put all the force into the chainsaw to try and cut the bottom. Like, you're just letting gravity do its thing. Yeah. I agree with Joe Bob on this. It's a very effective use of a chainsaw as a murder weapon. I agree. (sighs) Ah. 
Fred goes to the temple. He kind of looks at some of their holy books, throws them on the ground. So he's it's like, also kind of yeah. reminded me of Midsummer when um, Josh. Like, yeah, he goes in there and is like looking at the books in there. Yeah, it was a very similar scene. Uh, Marlene tells Red that she's a very sensual lover, so she's trying to fuck her way out of this. And we find out that he, uh, the only head he wants is hers off her body. Oh yeah, I'm gonna roll tonight. You are man. <laughs> Uh, then he finds Jeremiah almost naked in a chamber, because that's what Jeremiah do. And this is probably my second favorite Jeremiah scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is like, at first he's all like, you can't kill me. I'm the Lord's whatever. Like, he's just, you know, going on and on as a cult leader does. And then uh, basically Red gets a weapon up close to his face. He's like, please don't fucking kill me. I'll suck your fucking dick. And he's, he's like, I'll like, blow sobbing. you, man. Yeah. He's, yeah. His bravado <laughs> drops so goddamn fast. And it's great. It's a great moment that's necessary in a cult movie. Like, because the leaders are not. Yeah. All, like, they're, they're fucking human. And all you have to do is just show your. But movie. I like how he does an immediate 180. Like, for an actor, it's kind of amazing how he's able to go from i'll suck your dick to no i don't kneel down to you you kneel down to me and then red is like i'm your god now and just fucking crushes his head yeah that's another jason moment yeah that is too yeah he pulled that one straight straight off of the old war he's from part seven part part seven part four part seven had like the best head crush though yeah so that's where i'm going with that's the one he watched whatever yeah so uh i mean that's, that's it, ends, it it ends with him membering mandy yeah he, it's a it's an iconic shot though he ends with him driving off in the car and he looks to his right and he sees mandy sitting there and he has like this like crazed smile on his face and he's like i don't know it's a really weird shot but it kind of like gives you i don't know like it makes you feel weird and then Immediately after that, you see him driving off, but in the horizon, you see Saturn and, I guess... Uh, you see two moons. Ju- Jupiter. Yeah, you know, you're on Jupiter. Yeah. Two moons, that's, that's it. right. He doesn't yeah. see Saturn yet. Yeah. But so that's, that's it. it. That's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You don't really seem like you're uh, that excited about it. <gasps> I'll bump it up to a four. Okay, why are you bumping it up? I had more fun talking about it than I thought I would. I don't know if I would want to watch it again still, though. Seriously? Mm. It's, uh... Ah. I could see it as, like, a background movie because then I don't have to pay attention to this nonsense for two hours. Fair enough. I mean... Look, I get it. It's not a D movie, and it is slow. There's a lot of, like, slowness to it. I think that he basically got to release his director's cut without anybody like actually saying, hey, man, maybe you should like cut this, you know, maybe it'll help the flow of the movie a little bit better. So he just kind of released his own thing. And and I mean, that would be the big thing I would change is, is the, the pacing. editing. Yeah. yeah like I, editing. And like not even necessarily like I wouldn't change anything exactly like that happened i would just cut some scenes short maybe punch up the music in a couple of spots just to give it a little bit more of that emotional impact drawing out some of those more tender and emotional and drugged out scenes uh kind of 
because the action really only takes place for a short part of the film and yeah. it, it feels like two completely different movies and i would like there to be a little bit more connection with that like just make it a little tighter i like that though i like that there's a slow build-up but because like by the time you're getting to that action at the end you've been like trying you're dying for something to happen and when stuff actually starts happening like it is super satisfying because it's been such a slow build-up you know i i i don't mind slow burns because that's kind of like the payoff with them i don't mind a slow burn i just don't think we got the payoff from this one all right i mean like i was saying like i think that it it doesn't have the plot it definitely is slow but i think it kind of works still like i don't think i would change it in any way like it's super visually pleasing i think that's one of the more important things for me like i'm very visual with movies so like everything that i saw on screen i loved and i think that everybody like killed it with their acting too i think it was I don't know. It's just a. I think it's like a really. You and I awesome are having movie. opposite conversations from what happened with Neon Demon, basically. Is what's yeah, uh, yeah. I guess kind of. I don't know. I I just kind of like the payoff of this one better. What's your post rating? I'm gonna give it a nine point five. Still not gonna give it a ten. It's not perfect, but yeah. Six point seven five. Okay. Talia um, was sleepy for a while. She hit her button to go outside at 37 minutes. And at one point, she was standing on the back of the couch, uh, yodeling at our neighbor's dog, who was going for a walk wearing his belt harness. <laughs> yeah, that's the belt harness, man. So I think she's like somewhere in the five range. like. So she's half and half on Yeah. It. She doesn't really yeah. care. Like she's like me. She's like, this is a good background movie. Like <laughs> I don't have to pay hundred percent attention. Okay. Um all right, so time for the review that I pulled for you. Okay. All right, so this is an IMDB review. Um, it's titled Waste of Time. One out of ten. One of the worst movies of all times. I thought that Nicolas Cage could have been improved, but the directing is bad. The way of killing is bad. Every angle, spelled A-I-N-G-L-E, thing in this movie is bad. The picture is so bad, it is like a very low-budget Bug-Ted movie. B-U-G-T-E-D. That's it. Um, Do you want to see it? Yeah. No, it's Nicolage. Uh, <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I don't necessarily agree. Like the the every angle thing. What the fuck does that mean? Every uh, fucking angle. <laughs> I do think that uh, Nicholas Cage kind of. Uh, just knew himself well enough to request red instead of jeremiah i think if he had been jeremiah it would have been disastrous and yeah. i still think there were a couple of moments where i was like could we give him a little less dialogue please <laughs> um and the director like he had a vision by god he stuck to it he worked on the script for six years and i don't think he took anything out in that time i think he just kept adding to it 
Yeah, I think you're right. So it was kind of an all-in approach, which I get it. I have a hard time editing my shit. I'm one of those that I'm like, this feels important to me. I do not want to cut my baby to pieces. I get it. But I also, if somebody was like, hey, I don't like that, I'd be like, you're wrong, but okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Do you think it's a very low bug Ted movie? I don't think it's low bug Ted. <laughs> can, can this be how we refer to low budget movies from now on? Is it what's the bug Ted? Yeah, I'm gonna need a bug Ted on this one. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, I'll I'll give you that. You did you defended that pretty well. <laughs> All Except right. for the angle, I don't know what angle is. Angle is every just, angle thing. A southern man angle, <laughs> fucking angles. All right, um, you already said your change. I already said I'm not going to change anything about it. Um, so dream sequel, you got one? Nope, this is all you. No, oh, for me? Yeah. Um, I would kind of like to see an animated sequel where you kind of like, I don't know, you would get to like kind of take it from there. I don't know. You can go. There's a lot of possibilities you could go with this because it's, with not a lot happening, it, um, it kind of did like the bare minimum of world building to realize that, there's a lot of like shit out there that could be explored. I don't really know. You don't necessarily have to go with Colts again. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really need like a sequel. You could just kind of like, I don't know. I just want to see it animated. I just want to see it like a fucking animated horror movie. I, w- I want animated horror. And this is the writer's room for Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Who did you relate to? Hmm, there's so many cool people in this movie. Mm. I related to Lucy because I was held against my will to watch this movie. <sighs> that's that's fair. Mm. I want to like give a non-serious one, but I'm just going to say Red because I relate to a lot of the shit that he did man he's he's just a guy that wants to hang out with his wife and watch shitty horror movies and you know not get murdered by and uh, no i relate to mandy because i love that fucking house and he says um do you want to leave like what if we go somewhere else and she's like no i really like it here i would really like it there too i relate to mandy veto Nope, no, you can't veto. I'm vetoing the house. Oh. You'll have you to can't veto to that either. You want to to. You're going to be a lumberjack. I'm going to sit at home and I'm going to draw all day. It really kind of fits. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All, all right. right. That's it. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> go to our website. What's your least favorite scary movie.com. You can find us on all of the different social medias. If you've been listening for a while, you know, I fuck them up. So see the show notes, but it's been a while. So let's see if I can uh, try and plug them here at the end accurately. Uh, Twitter is least fave pod. I always start off with that one because it's the shortest one. Hmm. Um, Instagram is least favorite scary movie podcast. Yes. And you can email us at what's your least favorite scary movie at gmail.com. Hey, and Facebook is also what's your least favorite scary movie. It's super simple. Um, We put trailers for stuff like this up there. We post random pictures of our pets. Um, And we want you to talk to us because if you have things to say, we will say it in the show. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you can also rate and review. And in fact, we ask that you do that on whatever you're listening on. If you have the ability to rate and review, please do that because it helps um, kind of like boost the algorithm or whatever fucky thing it, it helps is. Us. It helps other people find us. You can also like apparently a thing that the the thing the youths do these days is uh, like they'll share what they're listening to on their like Instagram stories and stuff. Oh yeah, I see um, that all the time. Yeah, and if you if you tag us in an Instagram story, we will uh restory that shit. I'll suck your dick, man. You'll fucking do it. He'll blow you. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, next week we have guests. Yeah. We are going to be talking with another married horror uh, podcast, Shaken Not Scared. Mm -hmm. We let them pick the movie. Uh, We just told them the only parameter was something cult themed and And they chose. It's a mystery. Do we want to reveal it right now? I think we can reveal it. Okay. We just put spooky surprise because they hadn't chosen it when we released our That's schedule. That's true. But I kind of <laughs> like the idea of it being a mystery, but also this is a good way to reveal it. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, we can leave it partially mystery, and I can just say it's a movie that I really fucking hate, and I was uh, sad when they picked it. It's going to be a good <laughs> one, guys, because it's a movie that Jesse and I both really hate, and we had been discussing previously. Man, I really want somebody to pick this movie so we can actually talk about it, because so it's going to be a hot take, I, apparently. I need to talk to people that like this movie so I can understand why they like it. Yeah, so we're going to actually be on teams for that one, for sure. Yeah. Yep, so... So we're not going to tell them what it is? No, we're just going to leave it at that. Okay. Let the suspense build. All right. I like it. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye. How did they plan on killing Mandy? Because she's licking. I was trying to get her to stop. Oh. It worked.